This fall, we're in a series called The Gospel of Jesus. We believe the gospel presents a compelling case for what Jesus' early followers believed. Jesus fulfilled God's promise to redeem His creation and make all things new. We believe the gospel of Jesus makes the most sense in explaining the meaning and purpose of life and our part in it. Who is Jesus? Who did He think He was? Who did people think He was? Well, we're talking today about who is Jesus in this Gospel of Jesus series. Who is Jesus? So what comes to your mind when you hear that question? How would you answer that question? If somebody were to call you today, stop you uh, on the street this week, send you a note or an email, a text saying, who is Jesus? What would you say? I hope by the end of this message, it'll be, if it's not already clear in your mind what you'd say, I hope it's more clear. In some ways you'd have to say, well, do you want a one-liner? Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior? Do you want an elevator speech, a shorter version? Do you have days, weeks, and months, and years, and a lifetime to walk together? Uh, what I want to do is be able to give you a very brief response to the question, who is Jesus? The Apostle Paul answers it this way in his letter to the Colossians. Colossae was a little village in the area we know as Galatia, what is now modern-day Turkey. As he writes to the Colossians, remember, Paul, the apostle, was also Saul, uh, the person who was very upset that people were uh, talking about Jesus as the Messiah. And in the course of uh, prosecuting and persecuting these followers of Jesus, he became a follower of Jesus. So now as an apostle of Jesus, he is answering the question, who is Jesus, in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. And he says, Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. He existed before creation began, for it was through him that everything was made, whether spiritual or material, seen or unseen. Through him and for him also were created power and dominion, ownership and authority. In fact, every single thing was created through and for him. He is both the first principle and the upholding principle of the whole scheme of creation. And now he is the head of the body, which is composed of all Christian people. Life from nothing began through him. And life from the dead began uh, with him. And he is therefore justly called the Lord of all. It was in him that the full nature of God chose to live. And through him, God planned to reconcile in his own person, as it were, everything on earth and everything in heaven by virtue of the sacrifice of the cross. Uh, today is Yom Kippur, a Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, a part of some Jewish high holy days, beginning last weekend with Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the year, head of the year, a time of reflection um, and uh, deep thinking and careful, prayerful uh, reflection on, on what we need to repent of. Uh, these are called days of awe, days of, of wonder, uh, yamim, uh, noraim. And it, it culminates in today, Yom Kippur. Uh, as you repent, uh, today is a day of atonement, forgiveness for your sin. It's interesting that Paul, understanding Leviticus 16 that describes Yom Kippur, and uh, being conversant with Jesus being the fulfillment of uh, 
God's promise to send a Messiah. We see this in Hebrews 9 to 10. He is able to then summarize for the Colossians exactly what this means. We have atonement because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven. So let me ask the question, is there anyone in history truly like Jesus? After that description from Colossians, can you imagine naming anybody in history as, oh yeah, just like Jesus? No, the answer is, very simply, no. History is filled with amazing people, that's for sure, but none, no one like Jesus. Let that sink in because it's so easy for us in our culture and our distancing perhaps from the original documents, our lack of knowledge and understanding about uh, who Jesus is and what he came to do that would allow us to say, no, Jesus, I'm sure there's lots of people like Jesus. But we really don't have that as an option because Jesus uh, is uh, like no one else. Uh, this is how a man named James Allen summarized Jesus' life in a message uh, to a large group of students. He put it this way, speaking of Jesus, he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of humankind's progress. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of humankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. Oh, wow. James Allen in a talk to a large group of students in Los Angeles in 1926. So the first point of the morning is this. Jesus is a category of one. Perfectly human and perfectly divine. <laughs> Jesus is a category of one. Perfectly human and perfectly divine. Uniquely unrepeatable. His claims, his character, and his resurrection from the dead are unparalleled. His claims, everything he said, his character, everything he did, and then finally his uh, resurrection from the dead all come together to say, nobody, nobody has achieved that. These are unparalleled. And we know him through his own statements and what others said of him. In fact, he made uh, some statements that would be, uh, I would call them identity statements, and he made some statements that I would call missional statements. In fact, this is what every organization has in their, in their mission statement. It's a who we are and a what we do statement. So Jesus made some here's who I am and here's what I've come to do statements. So let me give you uh, samples of those. So Jesus' identity statements, somebody has called these the great I am's of Jesus. 
And these come from various uh, gospel sources, primarily John's gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the good shepherd. I and the Father are one. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Those are his identity statements, his great I am's. And now Jesus' mission statement. Somebody has called them the great I came's. I came to seek the lost. I came not to the righteous, but to sinners. I have come as light into the world. I came not to be served, but to serve. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come from the Father. I came to bear witness to the truth. Now this last one is what uh, he said to Pilate when Pilate was uh, interrogating him. Pilate's famous answer, of course, echoing down through the ages in history, was, what is truth? And Jesus said, I am the truth, and I've come to bear witness to the truth. So Jesus' identity, his words and deeds are perfectly, consistently congruent. Uh, how, how about you? <laughs> is your identity, uh, your words, uh, your deeds, are they perfectly, consistently congruent? I'd like to say mine are. I would like to say that, but I would be mistaken. In fact, I'd be lying. <laughs> I'd be violating all my, my uh, uh, identity and words and deeds by saying I'm, I, I'm ever perfectly, consistently congruent. Congruence is who you are inside is who you are on the outside. And that everything is just exactly as you say. I so want for my life to be congruent, as do you. Oftentimes we spend an inordinate amount of time trying to justify what we say and what we do so that we can somehow convince ourselves and other people that we are living a consistently congruent life. But there's only one person who's ever pulled it off, and that's Jesus. So who is Jesus? One of the answers would be he's the one whose identity, words, and deeds are perfectly consistently congruent. But that brings us to the second point, and it's this. We don't lack accurate information about Jesus we lack the will to obey him. We don't lack accurate information about Jesus. We talked about this last week. There's so much documentation around the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, it has integrity, it has credibility as a document. Now, that doesn't mean it's true necessarily, but we have accurate information about Jesus. For us, the real issue is that, is that we lack the will to obey him, to trust him, to submit to him to believe in Him, to defer to Him, to live under His sovereignty. So the Bible is credible. Our problem is humbly submitting ourselves to Jesus. And so we dishonor Him by disbelieving, discounting, disobeying, or ignoring Him. Now if you doubt Him, that's a different thing. To say, I have doubts, well that's the place where God meets us. There's an openness to God when we say, Lord, I if you're who you say you are, if you are the Lord, if you are the Savior, I've got to tell you, I've got doubts. See, Jesus' response would be, cool, trust me, let me meet you there. Let me meet you in your doubts and take you uh, to a place you can never go on your own. But we dishonor him by disbelieving, discounting, disobeying, or ignoring him, claiming that we don't have enough information. We're not sure he's worthy, if he has what it takes, if he's sufficient, is he enough? 
The documentation is there that he is certainly all those things. He is certainly efficient, enough, worthy of our trust. So we have documented eyewitnesses like John, who wrote the Gospel of John in three letters, John the Apostle. But we have documented eyewitnesses like John inviting us into community. Luke, uh, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Paul, who wrote his letters. Matthew, who wrote a Gospel. Mark, who wrote a Gospel. You have all these eyewitnessing, eyewitnesses inviting us into uh, this community uh, that has come together around Jesus. In fact, John said it this way in his first letter, 1 John 1, verses 1 to 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We have eyewitnesses, good evidence about what they have seen and heard. Their evidence and testimony has stood the test of time. And the the wonderful thing is, having seen and heard this, they're not saying, and we have it and you don't. It's for us and not for you. Gee, too bad you weren't there. You missed out. No. They say, so that you also may have fellowship with us. That you also might be part of this community that exists with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now next week we're going to talk about uh, what does it mean to call Jesus the Messiah and the Son of God. But this is what John tells us. And the wonderful thing he's telling us about regarding this fellowship is that um, we have full access to it in the name of Jesus. What we couldn't do, Jesus has done. And then Jesus invites us into that. And this fellowship is still happening now. It wasn't just for then, it's for now. 2,000 years of people bearing witness, giving their testimony of what it was like to be in fellowship with the living Lord, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And in fellowship with other people. People whose lives together not only blessed them individually and as a community, but had a massive and significant social impact on the cultures around them. Where the gospel is alive, where people are are alive in Christ, there is always a profound, practical, positive social impact. And so this fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia, It's the fellowship creating reality, the community creating reality of God's Holy Spirit at work in this world. And because of what Jesus has done through his life and death and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, is to make access possible for us to be part of this fellowship, this koinonia, this deep, intimate, love-based, truth-based community of people around him. And so our fellowship with Him, our koinonia, is rooted in God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in a perfect community. They are in a perfect relationship of which we have no access but for Jesus 
inviting us into that community. So our fellowship was with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's as if in that moment in the temple when Jesus uh, died, the temple dividing the holiest place from the other place, the Holy of Holies from the outer courtyard, that massive curtain rent in two, torn in two from the top to the bottom, opening the way into the holiest place of God. So God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, welcome us in Jesus' name into that fellowship. And we can experience God even though we can't see Him, hear Him, or touch Him now like John and others did. And so who is Jesus? He's God with us, for us, and in us. So somebody says, well, who is Jesus? You can say, well, He's God with us, for us, and in us. Well, okay, but so who is Jesus? Well, he, you can also say he's real, he's true, and he's personal. He's real. This is not a figment of our imagination, our imaginary friend. He's true. There's efficacy in his claims, his character, and his resurrection. And he's personal. Scary close personal. In fact, he wants to come into our lives. Not to disrupt it, or to disorient us, to bring us into a right mind, a right heart, a right life. So that brings us to the third point. That Jesus' resurrection from the dead makes our fellowship with God possible. He is the one who gives us a daily day of atonement. He is the one that opens up the way to God for us. For every person at whatever age or stage of life, in every culture, this is what Jesus has done. It's a worldwide movement of God himself reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this question. Are you in active fellowship with God and his people? And if so, what are you experiencing? And if not, uh, why not? Does your relationship with God connect you to other believers? If you say, well, yes, I have that relationship. Well, then, how is that going being part of a community? Well, it's very private, and I really don't have time. Well, wait a minute. That's the whole point. You're drawn into a fellowship. It's as if the hand saying, I really don't need to be around the body and, and dropping off. Well, it's now a dead limb. It's no longer an active part of the body. Does your relationship with God connect you to other believers? If not, uh, you're missing out. There's something lacking in your relationship with God if you're not being connected to other believers. Now, if you spend all your time with believers and never spend time with God, there's another problem as well. So does your current, do your current priorities deepen your faith in Christ or distract you from it? If your life is, 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 is prioritized in a way that you don't have time for God, uh, there's something wrong with your priorities. Why would I have the capacity to say that, the authority or credibility to say that? Because of God's Word. It tells us that uh, the highest priority is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Out of that flows every good and perfect gift of God in us, to us, through us. So we do our best work under those conditions. So drawing close to the Lord allows us to be more prepared, more equipped, higher, bigger capacity to embrace people, to deal with the, the, the circumstances of life. So remember, His impact on you is real, true, and personal. 
personal between you and him in that very strong vertical, personal between you and fellow believers in that wonderful strong horizontal, and personal to you uh, and, and anybody else you meet, believer or non-believer. We love everybody in Jesus' name. And we then become like John, inviting people to become part of that fellowship. He bears witness to the truth that we need him. That's what Jesus does. I've come that you might have life in all its fullness. And in his love, he's calling us to that life. And there's more to it than simply believing something. We're becoming something. To believe it uh, is important. It's essential. It's a good first step. But it's about becoming something. The transformation of being transformed by the presence of God in us. Being returned to what we were initially created for, to be fully alive as beloved children of God. Another way of looking at it is this. We're partners in the gospel of Jesus. Just like John was functioning as a partner. Hey, uh, this was great for us, but we include you to be in it as well. So let me leave you with three things. First of all, deepening your experience of Jesus' fellowship is, is essential. Fellowship with Jesus is as simple as sitting down in a quiet place, opening your Bible, reading it, and then having a conversation with God about it. Reflecting on it, meditating on the Word of God, perhaps committing it to memory. Letting God speak to you through His Holy Spirit in a passage. Maybe the impact of that for you is being confronted gently with some things you need to to look at in your life and change. Maybe it's being comforted in some of the hardest things you're going through or have gone through. Maybe it's an aha moment of truth and insight about you or about a situation. Probably over time as we do that, we start to understand the whole scope of what God has been doing for a very long time in a lot of different people and now in us. So deepening your experience of Jesus' fellowship is a super important commitment. The second one follows, contributing to the well-being of Jesus' fellowship. You get to be a net contributor, not just a receiver. You get to contribute to the health and well-being of that community built around Christ. It's his community. He's at the center of it. He's the head of the body. He's at the center of this community and this kingdom. It's his kingdom. But he's given us the authority to manage the church, to build the church, empowered by his spirit, guided by his word, in the company of his people. So you have the capacity to contribute. No matter what age or stage you're in, you might be tempted to think or say, I don't really have anything to contribute. Yes, you do. Your presence, your perspective, the gifts that have been entrusted to you are all ways that you contribute to the well-being of of this community uh, built around Jesus. So deepening your experience of Jesus' fellowship, contributing to the well-being of Jesus' fellowship. And the third thing is this, receiving support and accountability from Jesus' fellowship. One of the great privileges is that we get to receive support in terms of encouragement, guidance, coaching, encouragement, all those things that allow us to step out in faith. Also accountability. That there's people who, are, who have access to ask us hard questions. Hey, why are you doing that? How's that going for you? Why this, not that? Help me understand how I can support you in doing what I know you really want to do versus this other path you're taking. Support says, uh, I, I know you can do it. Accountability says, when will you do it? How wonderful it is to have people in our lives who can speak those words of love and also those words of discipline. Who can remind us that we're forgiven of our sins 
who can remind us that there are some disciplines that unless we start to apply them in our life, reading the word, learning to pray, praying with people, for people, using our gifts to serve, without those things we're, we're not becoming what we're intended to become in Christ. He loves us unconditionally the moment we believe in Him and receive Him. But we have the joy and the privilege of becoming all that we're meant to be in Christ. And so that support and accountability from the body of Christ is essential in that process. It's not a loner's thing. It's not, I'll do my thing, you do yours. It's, we get to do our things responsible for us, but in company with one another under the Lordship of Christ. Well, I hope that's going well for you, and if it's not, I hope this becomes a, 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 a call to you uh, to, to realign around those priorities about deepening in, uh, your experience of Jesus, contributing to the well-being of His church, and then receiving support and accountability from this wonderful uh, Christ-centered community. Whether it's La Jolla Community Church or any number of churches in the community, the county, the country, around the world. The body of Christ is alive and well in the world. We have the privilege of helping it be alive and well and being alive and well in it. And so Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would have that experience of drawing close to you. Daily prayer, uh, study, meditation, throughout the seasons of our life. I pray, Lord, that you'd show us how we can contribute to the well-being of this community, this holy fellowship with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, we would have the humility, the openness, the curiosity to open ourselves to the support and the accountability of your people, guided by your Spirit, under the authority of your Word. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, I hope you have a good rest of the day. Think on these things. If you have any questions, let me know. I'd love to chat with you about them if you do. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, giving us his peace, his love, his power, his mercy, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.